0: You're listening to Travel Tales with Fergal. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe, and you're very welcome to the first episode of season three of the Travel Tales with Fergal podcast. The podcast is a very simple premise where I chat to a special guest every Tuesday. Where I ask for five trips or places that most influenced or impressed them. My guests come from all walks of life, but one thing in common: they all have great travel stories. If you haven't already, I'd ask you give me a follow on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts, so that you'll be the first to get a new episode every Tuesday for the rest of the year. I started this podcast exactly a year ago at the height of the pandemic to help fuel your imagination by doing some armchair travelling with my guests and this podcast is now listened to in over 80 countries worldwide. Let's go straight into our guest today who is the comedy legend Reginald D. Hunter. Reg is touring Ireland in January and he brings his bomb shuffler stand-up show to O'Keefe St. Clamel on the 29th of January, tickets from tickets.ie. Reginald has been called a voice of his generation as he is unafraid to tackle head-on With searing honesty and often brutal humour, the subjects, the rest of us, skirt around. Reginald is a true gentleman and a deep thinker, and I think you'll have really enjoyed this episode. (laughs) So it's great to see you.
1: Likewise, Ferg, man. You're looking very good. I feel pretty good, Ferg, and you you, you look well yourself, man.
0: Thank you very much. It's great to see that um, you're one of the first tours that I've actually booked again so it's great to actually be back in business again you know yeah
1: man it's um it's it's it's, it's a peculiar time man and and just just uh not that i'd be excessive but uh yeah. can i swear on this
0: yep that's okay that's oh, okay problem. i
1: just, want, I just yeah. want to know how much of self i, I could you. be <laughs> yeah, yeah no no i want you
0: to be totally <laughs> to yourself I'm just curious, actually, a matter of interest, like how are things in the UK then? Like, are, are gigs all open in Ireland? It's the 22nd of October when everything opens properly.
1: Oh, uh, but- well, that explains it. Um, I'm over here for a week um, getting ready to do the Deirdre Kane show. And I asked my people to look into um, getting me on over here yeah. while I could, you know, you know uh, tighten, tighten myself up a bit but I ain't heard from them in a couple of days. So I guess there ain't no gigs to be found.
0: <laughs> yeah, there isn't. They, they've literally, they've just been outdoor gigs and, mm-hmm. uh, and even with outdoor restricted. I mean,
1: well, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, I mean, in a way comedy is, is, is like that everywhere. It's just, it's, it's, it's trying to survive. Yeah. And, um, I've been, I've been lucky. I've had a lot of gigs since the last lockdown, but, um, uh they've mostly been outdoor and um I said the other half have been severely audience restricted. Yes. And so, you know. But you know, it's I know. it still it still feels like comedy though.
0: True. I know. <laughs> so I'm delighted to welcome you to the podcast. You're you're gonna be doing a tour in Ireland in uh January, going into February before a huge UK tour. And Mm -hmm. the most important one, of course, is going to be O'Keefe's Comedy Club my comedy club on the 29th of January in uh, really, that'll be our first gig. So really looking forward to that, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, I am honoured to be, you know, your flagship show. (laughs) (laughs) Have you
0: found people actually, we were just saying there like about gigs and uh, you've done some in the UK. Are people nervous or is it, are they hyper excited or?
1: I think the audiences have been really, really glad to see us. There's been nothing grumpy or depressive about them. I've gotten away with uh, uh, quite a few jokes that I know I wasn't supposed to get away with. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, um, no, everybody seems eager and just, I think um, the sense I get is, I mean, more than people are eager for comedy, they're they're, they're eager for normalcy. yeah, they, 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 they want to get back to some of the old ways, I guess.
0: Exactly. And being around other people. And what we do with this podcast, just to remind people, is we ask for like five places or locations or destinations mm-hmm. that influenced you the most or that you love the most. And uh, mm-hmm. you, I asked you for a list and we got an intriguing list. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. And um, mm-hmm. we'll fly into it if, if that's OK. The first one was Amsterdam which is an interesting one.
1: Yeah. And not so much for any of the obvious reasons. Um, and I haven't been, I have, in the early part of my career, I was in Amsterdam uh, and it just seemed like every time I went to Amsterdam, something magical happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something that just, just made me go, wow, just, and I really thought, for a time that I might live there, you know, just you know like if if I could get hit with the thunderbolt of magic for a weekend, what would the thunderbolt be like for for a year you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> what sort of things I mean when you say magical like in what way would you have examples uh,
1: I had just I had just broken up with a girlfriend um uh, my girlfriend of 12 years back in the States and I was not taking it well and I got to Amsterdam and I, I was there for a few days and I went to this shop that sold magic mushrooms I had never tried them before I heard about it and I wanted to find some form of non-death oblivion that didn't involve alcohol <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I bought like four little pouches and I and I necked them right there in the street and I, I was stupid you know I was like you know man told me I wanted to take one bag but I got out on the street with the bag and I thought well when I have a burger I usually have to have two so <laughs> and as soon as I necked all the mushrooms I said I'm gonna do something I ain't never do I ain't never done I'm gonna go down there to the red light district. And I got down there to the red light district and that's when all the colors started kicking in. And it was beautiful at first. It was, it was like, it was like autumn and the the leaves turned a certain shade of gold. I had never seen before. It was mesmerizing, but all of a sudden all the things that were looking beautiful started getting so intense looking that they they started being uh, uh, just ever so ever so slightly menacing. (laughs) And so, so So my little boy said, hey, man, maybe we should get the fuck out of him. So um, I jumped in a taxi and I swear to God, this white taxi driver, I looked at him and I thought, look at him looking all nervous. He probably thinks I'm going to kill him just because I'm a big black guy. You know, I am so sick and tired of white people thinking I'm going to kill them just because I'm a big black guy. So I look at him and I say, it's okay. You can Relax. I'm not going to kill you. And then he looked at me weird, and I said, yeah, yeah, I know. You expect that. You you, you look for that kind of thing in my people. But, you know, not, not all of us are killers, okay? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to kill you. And um, so we got to my hotel. Uh, I reached for my wallet, and he says, no charge, no charge, just get out. And I said, I said, you see? Your racism is costing you money, pal.
0: And was he a nervous wreck? Was he? During that trip?
1: He, I mean, he... He looked more than mildly concerned. <laughs> but uh, I met some fantastic people over there and people who I like anything that anything or anybody that um helps me see the truth. Uh it's not afraid to tell me the truth about myself. Yeah. And and you know, Dutch people, you know, they're real good at calling it the way they see it. It was like um it was like being on Planet Vulcan for white people. It was <laughs> it was they, they were eminently logical and and so, and I had some magical nights there, um, just doing stand up.
0: Is it different you know, to sp- comedy?
1: Well, yeah, it's, you can be on stage and be getting nothing from the audience, but they're still enjoying it. Um, <laughs> Craig Campbell once said to me, he says, for the Dutch audience, you could set your, you could set your balls on fire. And a Dutch, and a person, and a Dutch person would say, uh, last week, uh, there was another comedian here, and he set his balls on fire, and the flames were much higher.
0: Yeah, and, and, but did you find that daunting then? You were okay with that? Or did you find it a challenge?
1: I know I'm doing well on stage if people aren't getting up to go get drinks and go to the bathroom, uh, whether they're laughing or not. Um, if they're sitting there listening, I got them.
0: Like I I I heard you saying um one time about move, like when you moved to the UK from America that American audiences you know being a black man doing intelligent comedy that it wasn't as appreciated am I right in saying that or
1: and it's something I'm uncomfortable admitting it's um and it may have changed in the years that I've been away but I know that growing up um, as a big big black male comedian there was a kind of comedy that you were expected to do. And if you didn't do that, then you were stared at oddly, you know, and you know, it's like, um, I'm a big black man. Uh, I love pussy. I don't, I don't like paying bills. Uh, ooh, white people. Uh, you know, it's, and, oh, oh man. Uh, you remember when, when we was growing up and we was poor? I mean, and I can relate to some of those things, but that is not the entirety of the black American experience and and so you end up growing up thinking, well, since I don't talk about those things, maybe I'm not black enough maybe maybe my maybe my blackness lacks authenticity, and you get older and you find that that's not true and And I come over to this part of the world, and generally they were stunned to meet a black man who wasn't from New York. Oh wow, you have blacks in other parts of the country, and so um. I think now, I think things are changing where there are people with a range of experiences coming in, you know.
0: And I love your story that um, you, am I right in saying that you originally came over to study in RADA? Yeah. Which is very posh, you know, ultimate establishment acting school. I was totally intrigued. Yeah,
1: yeah, and see, it's weird when you, I I didn't have any understanding of things like that. I didn't. I didn't really know what the establishment was, certainly not in the in the UK. And I had no understanding of, of class distinctions or class bias. Or I, I had no idea that someone could choose to like or dislike me because of my sense of class. <laughs> and but I'm glad that I did it. It was an amazing experience. I remember I learned while at RADA, I learned two things. Nobody's more royal than the king's butler. And um, they used to love to say this shit here, Rana. A, the difference between an English actor and an American actor, an American actor is like a jazz performer. He brings something new and, 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 and special to each performance. Uh, unpredictable, impromptu. But an English actor, an English actor is reliable.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean the famous one is Lawrence Olivier, you know, with Immortal Men talking to Dustin Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman <laughs> stayed up all night for that scene in the, in, when he was going to drill him, looking down a little bit, isn't it? And the well,
1: but but, but so you also have to look at that was an old man talking to a young man. You know, there's the famous one about Olivier, and he's love telling this errata. He had just come off stage doing Hamlet, and the place was still, you know, just uh, a, 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 massive applause. And he goes into his dressing room and he immediately starts wrecking things. Just cha-cha. And his dresser comes in and he says, sir, what's the matter? And, he, and Olivier's going, fucking, fucking show. Fucking, fucking. And, and the dresser says, sir, your performance tonight was exquisite. Don't you hear them? And a famously, Olivier says, I know my performance was bloody exquisite, but I don't know how the fuck I did it.
0: And so you, you came over for acting and then went, you had never done stand up before you came to the UK. Is that right?
1: No, no. Actually, what happened was um, six months before I came to Rada, I had to go to New York to um, audition. And I stayed with some cousins and my cousin, she said to me, she says, well, country mouse has come to the city and whatever you want to do. And I thought, and I said, I'd like to go to a comedy club. I, I've never been to one before. And she took me to the New York Comedy Store. Uh, and and it was like a new material night. It was about 16 acts on. And they were all awful. I mean, and I remember it was around the eighth act. And I looked at it and I thought, I could do this if I wanted. <laughs> it don't look all that hard. I can't, I can't be no worse than these people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and is that, like, so your second choice was New York. Is that why you picked New York or? Why did you pick New York as your...
1: Oh, oh. I, I i I always had a southerners bias against the north. Um, there's still that feeling of mm, the north you know too dangerous and you know, full of atheists and intellectuals but new york I have to I, I got to tell the truth about New York. Everything that's in the world is in New York. And just the food is magnificent because every food that's made in the world is made in New York. <laughs> and I remember one time I went to this restaurant in New York, it was a Brazilian restaurant, and all I had was chicken and rice, and it was the best goddamn chicken and rice I've ever had before. Like it was just basic <laughs> chicken and rice. And and I remember I, I I did 17 shows in 10 days while I was there. Uh, Not big shows, just wherever they let me on, because I wanted to go and get dipped in that sauce, that New York sauce. And I've recommended to my daughter and my niece that if you can spend two or three years of your young adult life in New York, you go anywhere else in the world, you'll be a second or two faster than everybody else. I have a friend, um, she moved from London. Uh, She's Indian. She moved from London to New York and she told me she said I lived in Britain for 25 years and I never quite felt British she says but I lived in New York for three years and I feel properly American
0: can I ask you is that very different from your upbringing then in Albany Georgia
1: oh well, yes um I had a girlfriend once they used to get frustrated with me because in my off days um, I could go long periods doing nothing. And she says, why do, you, why do you like doing nothing so much? And I said, I grew up in the rural South during the 70s. There was nothing to do. I, I, got, <laughs> I, I got used to it and I got good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, it was just very quiet. I just remember how stable things felt back in Albany during the 70s and 80s. And how hopeful everything felt. It all felt like it was going somewhere. Um, it felt like, um, like my hometown of Albany. Yeah, it was getting bigger. Um, we had built this in in, in the mid eighties. We built this massive civic center, and it, was, it, it sort of represented the progress of the city. We're going to be able to have these concerts, and 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 it is a shell of itself today. All the young people have moved away. Because the industry is gone and it's like much of America, I suppose. I miss that feeling of um, hope. There was always this feeling of, hey, today's been pretty good, but tomorrow's going to be even better. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and have you noticed that? Like, do you go back much? Have you noticed particularly, say, with, during the last four, year, four years with Trump? I mean, did you notice a big change in the country? or has it been slow change all that if time. If
1: I, if if I'm honest, the last time I was home was December 2019. And the only reason I know about Trump and Trump's effect is cuz of what I read and what I saw about Trump on TV and stuff. But it didn't it didn't seem to affect the day-to-day living in Albany. Southern white people, even the racist ones, they would have been slow to support Trump because he's a northerner. Uh, so I don't know how, to, how the dichotomy of their hate would have worked out there. Uh, I didn't know how absurd racism was until I had been routinely treated equally by white people.
0: That's interesting. <laughs> so, like, does that mean then that they're, like, in America, that when you're in the middle of it, then you kind of nearly, it becomes institutionalized. Isn't that it? Yeah.
1: Well, it's... um. I know that my experience as a black immigrant in the UK, it, it may not be the same as a lot of other black immigrants in the UK, but very rarely have I been given shit for being black. More often, y'all give me shit for being American, which makes me feel equal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and you know, you took you. I think one of the reasons why you're so popular in Ireland is because that's the Irish sense of humor. Is we look at things like authority or we talk about brexit or even trump but we laugh at it that's how we deal yeah. with these that's our so i think that's why you 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 under, you are very similar in that way so your next one is a beautiful city and it's um, paris which i love
1: it's a deliciously frustrating city for me i've been there five or six times and usually long enough to do my run of gigs maybe get a chance to explore some during the day and it's beautiful and it's delicious, and it's as inviting as parents says, since I don't speak French, I feel like there's something that I never quite pierce. Yeah. I feel like I'm always on the outside looking in, no matter if I'm in the middle of it and it's one of those places that it's like you really it's like New York in a sense that I really want to understand what 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 French people, particularly Parisians i i don't want to just know i want to understand what they're pissed off about i want to understand what their divisions are i want to understand who they're afraid of who they're mad at or who they think is holding their progress back just want to understand i want to i wanted to have i want to have a french buddy i want to have a french lover i want to i want to understand how they love you know i i just i want to understand and and so um but it's one of those places that every time it comes up on the schedule, a huge smile comes across the face. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, Atlanta at Paris. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing in France in Paris is that anytime I'm in a spot in Paris, I always feel as if there's something going on somewhere else in the city and I don't know about it.
1: yes. Yes it always feels like it's pulsating something and it's just like it's like, just, it's like this, down one of these alleys exactly. down one of these side streets there's something, there's something popping off and it's like I, I, uh, yeah and I think that's, that's that's the feeling that made me leave Georgia it was like there was the sense that hey all of this is all this tranquility is nice and everything but something somewhere in the world something's going on and I want to know I always like being somewhere else. <laughs> I know, someone yeah. new. <laughs> do you love it, Angie?
0: Do, do you love the touring and the traveling? Um,
1: I think that I haven't. I think the, before the virus, I think that I was getting a bit weary of the road. Um, you know when when you're playing Hull for the fifth time, sixth time, you're like it may not be. But then the virus virus sort of sent it, sent globally sent everybody to their room and like sit down and think about your life and and I, and I think I, I've come back with more appreciation um, I think as a kid you know watching Star Trek and I really took to heart those words to explore strange new worlds and and so anything I, 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 still, I don't want to lose that sense and I worry sometimes that age can make you a bit incurious. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I want to, I was taught um, by, uh, by an ex-professor. Oxford professor. He told me that I was, I was very young and he told me that I was an intellectual. And I said, no, 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 I, I don't have a degree. I don't have degree. And he said to me, he said, an intellectual is not a person that has a lot of degrees or has read a lot of books he says an intellectual is someone who stays perpetually curious and uh, I, I and i i see the value of children now um they help it's like children force you to have to explain the world and and sometimes often you don't know you have no idea what you know until you have to teach it <laughs> <laughs>
0: You need to think about your values, you know, to yeah. just explain them.
1: Because, you know, like, um, without children or someone that you are having to teach and stuff, you can sit on the fence and have your dinner party morals all you want. But <laughs> when when somebody's the survival is in your hands, it's like, yeah, you come off the fence and you find out you believe one thing or the other.
0: And you mentioned um, your daughter. What age is she now? What age is your daughter?
1: She is the big 2-0. Oh,
0: really? Wow. So that's why you're recommending yeah. New York to her. Yeah, and you get on great with her. Yeah, yeah. Your daughter got to know her when she was, was it 14, 15? Was that it? right, around that yep. time? Yeah, yeah. So was that a shock first?
1: To an extent, my daughter and I, we still make each other nervous. Um, she has a case of nerves when she's around me um, because she knew of my fame and my reputation before she knew me. And so she's always afraid that she's going to say something that I'm going to think is not intelligent or not funny or not witty. And I'm always terrified around her because I'm terrified that I'll say the, 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 the the wrong non-fatherly thing. So I'm always on pins and needles going, you know, and so we have this game that we play Um, whenever we, whenever she calls me, you know, she'll say, she'll say, She'll say hello, father, and I'll say hello, daughter. Did you did you become educated today?
0: So tell us your next spot, then Montreal. I only spent a brief time there.
1: Uh, but looking forward to going back. I went there for the Just for Last Festival. It felt like it felt like a city that similar similar to New York or Paris. Something was going on. Something was going on over there, over there. Um, but Montreal felt like. It just felt like it didn't have any of the danger that New York or even Paris had. <laughs> it was just—I mean, I don't know—I—I—I—I'm not going to make no bold statements about Canadian police, but the ones I met, I ran into, were very friendly, <laughs> and it was like it's like, yeah, I could get with this. <laughs> Montreal is also special to me because uh, that's where I met William Shatner, and I learned. Painfully, that William Shatner and Captain Kirk are two different people. Um, hey, I, I, I'm not gonna brag on Shatner. I, I did, he was hosting the show that I was doing. You know, he's Canadian, so he's he's like the Canadian favorite son. And you know, it was, it was weird because he was doing jokes like, Hey, I just flew in from Cleveland, and boy, are my arms tired. He was doing stuff like that. But, um, he was introducing me and he said something like, This next comedian is from Georgia. And he said, He's done shows like uh, with title um, Pride and Prejudice. And then he stops and he says, I'm not saying this. And then he said, he's also done shows called A Mystery Wrapped in a... I'm not saying that word either. Here he is, Reginald DeHanna. And I was like, oh man, come on, Captain Kirk. I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> you're part of the reason. I'm
0: I boldly gold. He, he's would it be, you know, he's unusual as in he's been famous for a very, very long time with yeah. obsessive fans too, you know what I mean? He's it's a different, yeah. he's it, kind of Beatles level, really, you know, with fandom.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, just, and I heard him say it one time, he says, imagine, imagine being in your 80s or 70s and you still run into people who are excited about something you did 50 years ago. He had this look in his face in Star Trek VI, the, the last movie, um, um, uh, The Undiscovered Country, Mm -hmm. And when he's talking to the Klingon guy and he just looks at him and he says, and the Klingon guy says, Kirk, it is an honor to finally meet you. And Kirk goes, right. To me, Shatner always looks like that. He's like, he's going, right. (laughs) 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 Right. Okay.
0: Let's do your last one, because when I saw this, I was, it's the first time that anybody has ever mentioned this as their place. Um, So I'm really intrigued. Uh, Inverness. I had to look it up in the map to see where exactly it is in Scotland.
1: I love. I, I I can't explain it. Um, I've been there maybe three times, but it feels just this side of a village. It also feels just this side of a city. Um, it's beautiful. It's clean. It's like. Um, it almost feels like to me if Montreal was a village. Mm. <laughs> There's something about Inverness that the second I got off I, I I got off the plane or off the train, it was like something in me went, hmm, a man could get well here. I find people, yeah, I it's um and I can't put my finger on any one specific thing. I, I weather wise, I like rain. Um uh and I like sunshine too, but I grew up in the south, so I've had some sunny Christmases. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When I, when, I was, um, when I was growing up uh, in Georgia, I always fantasized about coming to somewhere like England or Ireland or Scotland and finding some village and, and, and shacking up with some girl for, for the winter, a girl who was introspective and read books. And, and I'd sit with her and, and we'd make love. And then afterwards she'd tell me about the things she read in the books and then I'd start writing and
0: it's funny because it's like I grew up thinking about sunny places, you know. And I and I heard a great um, thing, I heard a great thing the other day it was a guy it was Twitter and it was like a guy saying, I wonder if French people watch afternoon TV programs about settling in a house in England, you know? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that's that that's a good one that's that's not big interesting to 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 imagine
0: I looked it up inverness because I was intrigued and there's some gorgeous it's kind of got that i don't know it's a victorian or whatever but these beautiful buildings and stuff
1: yes um there's also there's also i don't know if it's a river um but it runs right through Inverness. and it's just i'm not a person that like loves going on long walks but This place makes you feel like going on long walks. Um, And I remember, like, just plenty of trees. Um, I find as I get older, trees are important to me. (laughs) I've I've been there several times, and it seems like I'm most often going there during the autumn. And autumn in Inverness is one of those places where it feels like I should either be there alone writing a book, or I should be there with someone. It seems like a place, it's like if your marriage was in trouble and y'all need to go somewhere and just deal with each other, Inverness is the place to go.
0: <laughs> and I can totally relate to that as in, I love, say, you know, like you go to New York or Paris and there's that buzz, but you always feel like you're, you're up looking for the buzz, whereas you go somewhere mm-hmm. like there, you just feel calm, you know?
1: Yeah, feel calm. Yeah. I like the way you said it, hey, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna put that one in the pouch. Hey,
0: man, hey, Cam. One question that I always ask everybody at the end of every episode, and it is: if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, where is your happy place, and why?
1: Oh, I'm probably gonna hate myself. I'm gonna to have to say, Atlanta. And and it's a really re- weird reason why I would say Atlanta. Um, and apart from in, any of the cityscape or landscape, which you know it's all credible. You know, like for I've for a lot of Irish people who live like say out of the sticks a bit. Um, it's a big deal coming to Dublin or moving to Dublin. Well, the same with the rest of the South. It's like kids look forward to going to Atlanta. It's like, or moving to Atlanta is a big deal. It's like, oh, you're crossing over. And, and it, you know, Atlanta still for the, like, for the last 15, 20 years has the busiest airport in the world. The southerners love saying, even if you're going to heaven, Still got to switch flats in Atlanta, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and I, I don't know. For me, there's a, there's something there's something calming and inspiring by saying the very word, the very name, Atlanta. Um, I mean, Sherman's army marched through the South and scorched Atlanta and Atlanta still rose. Um, our sports teams, you know, it's like, we don't never win nothing easy. You know, we don't, we don't never win 10 to 10 to two. It always be one nil, two one, you know, it's, it's, just it's, it, it's. But I remember as a kid, I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta always felt progressive um, because it was one of the, the blackest major cities in America. Um, and I remember during the 70s and 80s, you know, there was a lot of black urban professionals. And I guess it, it, the city, the, the the name itself still carries the connotation of progressiveness for me. And I'm not talking about progressive politics. Because um, I remember before the word progressive got bastardized into meaning some some political thing, Pro- progressiveness just meaning you you were into progress. <laughs> you was into, you know, new technology. You was into making things better. You just were interested in progress. And, and so, I mean, yeah, Atlanta still represents that to me. Even sometimes when I'm about to go on stage and I might be feeling a little bit lurked, a little bit nervous, a little bit edgy. I just say to myself, Atlanta. And I, I feel like I'm as much describing a time as I am a place. But, um, yeah, Atlanta means that for me. I, I, I find pleasure saying, saying those, three little, those three syllables.
0: And do you still consider yourself, you know, because you've been out of, say, Georgia for long, maybe as long as you've been in it, maybe?
1: I don't consider myself an Englishman. Um, although England is my home, and I love England, and I'm grateful to it. I think I will always see myself as an American, Um, and for better or for worse, whenever I get into a taxi and it's being driven by someone from China or Afghanistan, I say, I'm sorry, on behalf of my government, I just, I kind of see myself as a citizen of the world. I guess I haven't found that place yet that I can call my spiritual home outside of America. I'm still, I'm still American for better or for worse.
0: Thank you so much. That was amazing. And I can't wait to uh, see your tour. You're going to be in Ireland all through January into February and then the UK. And luckily you're going to be coming to Clamel as well. So I can't wait to, to see that and catch up. What's the name of your, how, how, what is the name of your tour?
1: Yeah, Boom Shuffler. should let your fans know that um, uh, since uh, I've been pretty much cooped up for uh, 18 months, um, Comedically, I'm pretty dangerous right now. I mean, I, I don't say that to boast, and I'm not yeah. trying to boost ticket sales or nothing like that, but it's like I have had a lot of time to distill this.
0: And a lot has happened in between. Yes. <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> you know, like I love saying, not bitter or mad, just proving I'm bad. You want some jokes, give me an hour plus a pen and a pad. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs>
0: I can't (laughs) wait. So thanks so much. I really appreciate
1: it. Fergal, as cool as the other side of the pillow, baby. I would ask
0: if you could please subscribe to Apple podcast. So a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Virgo